0: talking about the holy spirit so let's let's do this if you were here last week let me just kind of run through a real quick recap of what last week was if you missed it and uh that way uh, how many hate like going to the movies and you show up late how many hate that how many like you like to watch the the uh how many like to watch the trailers before it i have to get there and watch the trailers before that's how i am Uh, if i'm late i don't even want to go Anyway, we'll go We'll go see Muppets or something over here. I'm not going to there. And so if you're coming in on the second part of the series, you can kind of maybe feel like you're walking in in the middle of a movie. So let me catch you up real quick on what's going on, and, and then we'll we'll dive into what we're going to talk about today. So uh, we t- when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there's three common responses. If you were here last week, maybe you can participate with me. The first response we talk about when we talk about the Holy Spirit, people usually have these kind of emotional responses to it. The first one is crazy. Is crazy. How many remember that one? Um, how many of you have ever, well, we're not going to make you raise your hand on this one, but been a part of a church where uh, when they talk about the Holy Spirit, you can kind of get a little crazy and you can kind of think about uh, just some crazy things happening and maybe seeing some people like barking like dogs and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, I don't know if that's really the Holy Spirit or not. And the Holy Spirit's like, that's not me. I'm not, I don't do that. Um, and maybe you've seen some crazy stuff happening before. Uh, if you've been a part of maybe a Pentecostal or a Spirit-filled church um, and so you, you, if you've been a part of that before and, and it kind of turns you off to it, uh, then you can go to the second phase of what emotional responses that people have. And that is, anybody remember cautious, it's cautious. You get cautious. Um, Very cautious. So anytime somebody kind of starts talking about the Holy Spirit, you kind of like tense up a little bit um, because you're really cautious about it because you've been burned by it before. And maybe you've seen some crazy things and you're like, oh, I don't know about that. And so, or maybe you were raised in a denomination that either said that the Holy Spirit no longer existed or that the Holy Spirit is really just for crazy people. And so you come into a church like this and we talk about the Holy Spirit. You're like, oh, is is he actually still alive? And yes, he is. And uh, and so you can maybe be a little cautious. And then maybe you're one of the newer people here at the church, and maybe you've been unchurched for a long time, or maybe you just got saved recently. And there's so many of you that have just gotten saved recently. I know across all of our campuses, we've got dozens and dozens of people that are new to the faith. and And you're not really thinking about it in a crazy way, and you're not even really cautious. You're just number three, which is you're confused. You just don't, I don't, even, I don't even really get the Holy Spirit. I, I understand the Father because I have a Father. I understand Jesus because we see him in pictures and we know he died on the cross and I wear him around my neck and he's my homeboy. Um, but I don't really understand the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's really weird. And so we talked last week about that the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a he. You look all throughout the Bible, all throughout especially throughout the New Testament, it talks about that He is the Comforter, that He leads us in truth, that He and so the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity, just as important as God the Father and God the Son. He has a very important part. And and so we talked a little bit about how um there are emblems of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. There are these uh, pictures of the Holy Spirit. Not that the Holy Spirit is these things, but it characterizes the Holy Spirit. So you're going to see in the Bible, it talks about the Holy Spirit as fire, talks about the Holy Spirit as, as wind, talks about the Holy Spirit is like oil, talks about the Holy Spirit is, it, it gives many different uh, types of emblems. And so that's kind of what we're doing is we're taking these different emblems of the Holy Spirit and really bringing them to life and showing you what the characteristics of who Jesus is and what he does. Last week we talked about anybody know? fire, talked about fire and fresh fire. Uh, I, let me just tell you real quick how this goes down. Um, if you're new to me preaching, you're not at the movies. Okay, um, so don't sit and just stare at me. Because I'll preach longer because I don't think that you're getting it. Alright, so if you reply back to me, then I preach faster. And then you can go to lunch quicker. Okay, so, uh, so last week I talked about fire. That would have been your chance. Last week I talked about fire. And, uh, and so w- we talked about fire. And this week we're talking about atmosphere. Atmosphere. You'll see it at the title of your notes. We're talking about atmosphere. Last week we talked about the different types of what things of fire does. It ignites. It purifies. It consumes. It tests us. Um, and we talked a little bit about what that is. Now, speaking specifically about how the Holy Spirit is like fire. Um, how many of you like going to see fireworks? Any any fireworks people in here? How many of you could consider yourself a, a sort of a pyromaniac? You like fire a little too much, maybe more than other people? I'm like that. I love, I love fire. I've always loved... We, we grew up in Houston, in the outskirts of Houston, and was able to pop fireworks on our street, shooting everything. And me and my brother always used to have, uh, how many you know what a Roman candle is? You hold it and it it shoots it out of there. Well, we thought, that's that's like boring, shooting that up in the air. Let's shoot that at each other. Um, So we would have Roman candle wars. Uh, where you would go, you, you know, you would literally, you would, you would take it and you would, everybody would, you'd take your steps. It's like the old Wild West. And you'd take your steps and he'd take his steps and we'd, we'd light it at the same time and we'd turn around and we'd shoot it at each other. Uh, my mom loved that. And, my, my brother, how many of you used to remember those, like, uh, wind, maybe you have some, and, and if you do, don't say that you do, um, but how many you remember, like, those wind jackets, like, those windbreakers, it was like, you had the pants, pant jacket suit thing going on, y'all remember that, how many of y'all used to, no, we're not even gonna say it, it's gonna date you, but I used to have one, my brother used to have one, and when we did this Roman war, uh, <laughs> uh, one got caught in his hood, with the hood the wind jacket hood and went straight through the hood and mom had just i remember we came in we got lit up by my dad because it went right through the hood uh of the windbreaker uh i'm glad he didn't have hairspray because that would have been a fun sight to see but anyways, I loved fire growing up. I loved just doing bonfires and all that kind of stuff. And uh, last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit is a lot like fire. And I'm going to tell you something. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, a lot of times people assume the Holy Spirit is a lot like fireworks. The way fireworks are is there's a big boom. There's a big explosion. It's really pretty, but it's really short-lived. And a lot of people's faith is a lot like that. They have this experience with God. It's big. It's Boomtastic! It's awesome. It's it's really cool to see, but fireworks they die out and they don't last long. And so, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit and our relationship with the Holy Spirit, and we're talking about our just our walk with God, I want you to to have this visual. We don't want you to have a relationship like fireworks, which though there, there will be times where you have these kind of emotional fireworks encounters and experiences with God. When we read throughout Scripture, our relationship with God is a lot more like a bonfire. You know what, how a bonfire works? A bonfire, you have to prep it. You have to get everything right. You've got to get all the right wood. You've got to get maybe some lighter fluid, or you've got to figure out a way to light this thing, and then, and then you light it. It's not really extremely extravagant unless you've got a really big one, uh, but it, it does its purpose, which is either to roast marshmallows or warm your house. Or, I mean, fire can be good just as much as it can be bad. It's just based off of where it's put it's in a fireplace, it's good. If it's in your house, not so good. Um, and so a fire is designed to warm you, but here's the thing about fire is that fire goes out. And so with a bonfire, guess what you have to do? You have to keep putting wood on it. And some of you, your, your walk with God is not where it is. You know why? Because you stopped putting wood on it. And so you fizzled out. And you wonder, where did God go? God didn't go anywhere. God's been just as close as you've wanted him to. And because you've never put any more wood on the fire of your faith, you're, you're where you are. And you have a dwindling flame. And so last week we talked about when we want to have a fresh fire. And so kind of piggybacking off of that today, we're going to talk about atmosphere. Because in order to have a fresh fire and really encounter with God and with the Holy Spirit, you've got to have the right atmosphere. And we're going to look specifically at the New Testament church and how uh, it man created this atmosphere that the Holy spirit really did made me actually alluded to this. And we didn't even talk about what we're going to, what we're going to, uh, what I was sharing with her, but I want you to throw this, this, this verse up, uh, second Timothy chapter one, verse six. We got it. Um, okay. Throw that up for me. Watch this. It says this for this reason, I remind you, what does it say? To fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. And he says, for this reason, I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. So here's the thing I want you to see. In this passage, we realize that there is a, a very high importance of your participation in the fire of God in your life. Paul is not saying, hey, I just want to remind you, God's going to fan the flame in your life. He says, I want to remind you that you have a responsibility to fan your flame. God, ex- God started that. He ignited that in you. But you got to keep on doing it. And so we're going to see that in what we're about to talk about here, that we have a responsibility. Because the way most times works is we want God to do everything and us not to have to do anything. So we pray, God, would you do this? Would you do this? Would you do this? And really, God's looking to partner with us. He does some things, and then we do some things. And he does something, and then we respond and do something. And so I want us to look at um, really what it is to have an atmosphere that the Holy Spirit can really work in. Now, uh, we're going to go take kind of a behind-the-scenes look. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 4, uh, we're going to take a kind of a behind-the-scenes look at the New Testament church and really how the Holy Spirit really uh, fueled and encountered them in a powerful way, used them powerfully, and Atmosphere is really essentially important to life. I mean, atmosphere is a really big thing. There are three things that you must have in order to survive. You must have air. Anybody seen Gravity? You know, seen that movie Gravity? And it's like, they they didn't have the, (laughs) you got to have it. Okay. And as soon as you don't have it, you realize that you don't have it. You've got to have air to survive. You also, you have to have water. You have to have some form of water. And then third is you have to have food. If you have any one of those three are missing, you will die. You will die. You need all three of them. You need air, you need water, and you, you need you need food. Just like that, just like our atmosphere and our bodies need that, just as much as atmosphere is really important for our natural world, the Holy Spirit is just that that important for our spiritual world. We need the Holy Spirit desperately bad. So as you turn to Acts chapter 4, we're going to read some together. And uh, I want you to write this first one down. So these are four essentials that we must have in our lives in order for us to see the Holy Spirit do some powerful things. Number one is this. We must be passionate to please God more than man. We must be passionate to please God more than man. Now let me just catch you up real quick before we read Acts chapter 4. I want to catch you up real quick to what has happened with the New Testament church. In Acts chapter 1, the New Testament church had 120 people. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on these 120. They go out, they start preaching, and, they, and Paul preaches one sermon. One sermon, and 3,000 people are added to the church. 3,000. How many of you know that all of a sudden the children's ministry volunteers are like, we have no room? <laughs> 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 this building is too small. Okay. So we went from 120 in Acts chapter 1. We skip one more chapter and we get to 3,000 people. Here we go. We skip two more chapters to Acts chapter 4, which we're about to read. And 5,000 more people are added to the church. 5,000 more men and women are added. This church is very large. It's growing very fast. And it's happening all by the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) An extraordinary God is using some ordinary people to do some really extraordinary things. So Acts chapter 4, let's catch up to it. Now, no, the church is moving really fast. Watch this. Acts chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. It says this. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. And these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there's a resurrection of the dead. So what did they do? They arrested them. And since it had already, was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. Verse 4, but many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled, what is it? 5,000 men. That's not even counting women and children. So a whole lot more than even 5,000. Now I want you to skip down to verse 15. Skip down to verse 15. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chambers and they conferred among themselves. Now this is all of the councilmen. What do we do with these guys? They asked each other. We can't deny that they've performed a miraculous sign. And everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. Now, there's a leper uh, that has not walked. And you go back and you look in chapter three that hasn't walked. And, and and Peter and John, he was begging at the temple, and they begged for Peter and John to give them money. And Peter John said, and you've heard this story, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give unto thee. And and they said, you probably don't want our money. How about would you like your legs? And so they raise him up, and he starts walking. Everybody knows about this guy. You know why? Because he's always been at the temple begging. Any of y'all know some people that they're just like, they're known as the We have a couple people in our city that like they're the city beggars. Everybody knows them. They walk around, they go from restaurant to restaurant, place to place, always begging for things. They have no place to stay. They That's, and that's this guy. Everybody in the city knows this dude. This guy has been begging and begging at the temple for money. And many people have known that. So now here it is. Peter and John have actually performed an incredible miracle. They've raised him from being a leopard to now being uh, someone uh, that can walk. And so Guess what? News travels fast. Everybody knows about it. Now, the Sadducees and all of the council people hate this. They put them in jail. Everybody's hearing about it. 5,000 people get saved, and now they're figuring out what do we do with these guys. Verse 17, but to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them to never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about Jesus, about everything that we have seen and everything we've heard. Then the council then threatened them further but they finally let them go because they did not know how to punish them without starting a riot for everyone was praising god for this miraculous miraculous sign the healing of a man who had been lame for how long 40 years now i want you to i want to set up some of the Context of what's going on here. This is all happening in the midst of a Roman Empire. Now, tell me if this sounds familiar. The Roman Empire was the biggest, most prominent, most powerful, most prosperous nation in the history of the world. Their citizens lived lavished lifestyles. They had multiple religions, multiple gods, multiple goddesses. They had widespread sexual sin. Homosexuality was normal. Bisexuality was normal. Adultery was extremely popular when they had babies that they didn't want anymore. They killed them. Does this sound like anything you've ever heard before? Sounds like what? Sounds like America, doesn't it? Here's the good news in all of this. The good news is that if the Holy Spirit could use the church in that day, he can use the church in this day. Amen? And so, this is the context of what's going on in that day and age. The Roman Empire, they, they, they despised anything to do with Jesus, they killed him. And so, the fact that this man is raised from, has risen from the grave, he's ascended into heaven, and now all of his followers, they thought if they killed Jesus, they definitely would kill all his followers. <clears throat> Anybody followed David Koresh? Where's his followers? Nobody knows. Okay. Because when the main man gets killed, everybody else dies. Well, the, the exact thing, opposite thing happens with Jesus. Jesus dies and the church crows because they didn't realize that Jesus had another helper. Because Jesus looked at his disciples and said, I'm leaving, but I'm going to give you somebody who's better than me. And they're like, who can be better than you? You're in the flesh. And here we go. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and the church is thriving like crazy. But we've got to understand this. Listen, if we want the Holy Spirit to really use us as a church and as a people, we've got to be more passionate about honoring and pleasing and obeying God than honoring, pleasing, and obeying people. And so that means we stand up for truth. That means that we have to sometimes speak up when everybody else is silent. That means as a church that we stand up for what is right. Peter and John, they, they stood up for what is right. They get thrown in prison for that because they just started talking about Jesus. How many of you know that our, 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 our nation does not mind if you talk about anything but Jesus? As soon as you bring Jesus in... Then everybody starts going, whoa whoa, 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 hold on here, hold on here. You can talk about doing good things. You can talk about blessing the poor. You can talk about helping the orphans. You can talk about, um, you know, any type of social justice thing. But as soon as you start talking about the fact that we do this is because of Jesus, then get ready for some opposition. How many of you have seen that before? We see it in our schools all the time. We see it all over. You can see it in the court system. You see it everywhere that Jesus is not allowed but Jesus served his people, he spoke for his people, and if Jesus' people are are going to... Well, let me put it this way. If Jesus served and he spoke, then Jesus' people are to serve and to speak. We can go and help the poor people, but we got to let people, the poor people know why we do what we do. So we can't go do what we do and, and leave out Jesus. You know what I mean? We, we, that is the substance of what we do and why we do what we do, <clears throat> is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit fills and empowers people that are committed to pleasing God more than man. Second thing is this. If you want to write the second one down, is the New Testament church not only was more, more committed and more passionate to please God than man, they were also devoted to the word. They were devoted to God's word. Let me show you. Acts chapter 7. Now we're going to back up back a minute. In Acts chapter 7, it says this. Uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter four, verse seven, they brought in the two disciples and they demanded. So here, we're going to back up the story a minute. They demanded what power or in whose name have you done all this? Talking about the guy who was raised and then Peter, what is he filled with? Okay. All right. filled with the Holy spirit said to them, rulers and elders of our people. Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Are you serious? You're throwing us in jail because a guy got his legs. I mean, are you serious? The guy didn't walk for 40 years. We helped him walk and you're throwing us in jail. Notice that was, was that their problem? No, that wasn't their problem. Look what it says. Do you, do you want to know how he was healed here? Let me tell you how he's healed. Let me clearly state to you, all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed. Now here we go by what? The powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. The man you crucified. Uh Uh-oh, now we're getting personal. You crucified, but guess what? God raised him from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures. And here he goes. Notice, he's going to now go to scripture. He's going to scripture now. He says, the stone that you... Builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Talking about Jesus. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved than Jesus. And then the members of the council, what were they? They were amazed when they saw the boldness in Peter and, uh, of, of Peter and John. Now watch this. Watch this. For they could see that they were what? Ordinary men with no special training in what? In the scriptures, Peter and John were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter responds to his critics. He responds to the council by speaking scripture. And what is it that amazes these guys? The council is amazed because they were bold about scriptures. And they realized that these guys were ordinary dudes. They're used to the Sadducees and the Pharisees and these guys who memorize the Bible. They're used to them being able to quote scripture. But we got fishermen quoting scripture. What is up with this? These are guys who can't read. These are are guys who flunked school. And they're amazed because not only are they saying scripture, not only they're speaking about Jesus, but they're doing it with boldness. Now, let me tell you why this is extremely encouraging to me. And it should be extremely encouraging to you. Because the great news is that for all of us really dumb people, you don't have to be smart for God to use you. So if you're in here and school is just not your thing and the scholastic side of everything was just not your deal, don't worry. God can still use you. That's the main reason why he picked 12 guys that were ordinary dudes. I love that that's the way they describes them ordinary guys see because I'm telling you the myth is that you have to be extraordinary for God to use you you don't say it but that's what that's our excuse because when we talk about hey we we we're looking for people to lead a life group oh man I really don't know the scripture that much I really don't know hey man we're looking for you to do something we're looking for you to step out and help out with this outreach oh man I'm just man I really can't I'm just just newly saved and I just don't know a lot here's the deal these guys didn't either and yet God used them mightily And God can do the same for you and he can do the same for me is that the Holy spirit can take an ordinary person and make them extraordinary. And it's not because you're extraordinary. It's because he is. Amen. And so we see a people here that are devoted To the Bible, you'll actually see in just a minute when they go and run to the other disciples and they go and start praying, they're going to start praying scripture again. These men were committed to God's word. Now, here's the thing about God's word. We have to come to terms with it. The Bible is the only perfect book, and it's not a word from God. I mean, it's not a word about God. It's a word from God. The Bible is not just about speculation. It's about revelation. The Bible is not just any ordinary book. The Bible is the book. It is the inspired word of God. And here's the thing. If you don't start there, it won't have its full authority in your life. The Bible has to be preeminent in your life. You have to realize that this is God's word to me. This is God's word to me. And when I understand that, then God can speak to me. Now I want to, I want to show you go two chapters before. Uh, If you want to turn there, you can, if you don't, that that's fine. Um, But two chapters before it says this in in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. Well, what were the apostles teaching from? What were the apostles teaching from? Scriptures. And notice it says that all of the believers, what did they do? They devoted themselves. Which yet again comes back to a place. I have a part in this. I can't just come on Sundays and have Pastor Jamie or Pastor Belber or whoever standing up here devote themselves to teach you scripture. You have to devote yourself to the scriptures. You've got to be devoted to the scriptures. Because if you only eat on Sunday, you'll be malnourished by Tuesday or Wednesday. I don't know about y'all, but um, if, if you ever do a fast, like fasting, man, it's, it's hard. Especially if you try to do food. Man, that's hardcore. I mean, one day, and I'm like, headache, hard. you know what I mean? And the the word of God is meant to feed us constantly. Now, here's a statistic about the Bible. 88% of Americans own a Bible. Did you know that? 88% own a Bible. Now, here's the crazy thing. Listen to this. We have more Bible study tools than any time in our entire history than right now. I mean, most of you didn't bring your Bibles. You know why? Because it's a bright screen that you're reading from. And I'm cool with that. That's fine. But I want you to see that we have over, if, if how many of you have the U version Bible, the Bible that's downloaded on your, on your phone or your iPad or whatever, that Bible has been downloaded a hundred million times, which is awesome, which is awesome. It's great. 80% Americans think that the Bible is sacred. Now watch this. 61% of Americans wish they actually read it. 61% actually wish they read it. 100 million Bible apps downloaded. 88% of people have a Bible. 61% of them wish they actually would read it. Which means, what is that? 39% actually do. It means three out of 3 out of 10. Almost 4 out of 10 actually read it. And we wonder why the Holy Spirit doesn't show up. We don't know the scriptures. And God, the spirit of God uses the word of God to make us like the people of God. You need to write that down. That's really good. The spirit of God uses the word of God to make us into the people of God. If you want to become more like Jesus, you got to read the book that talks all about Jesus. If you want to get his heart, you got to read the letter that he wrote to you. That is the scriptures. That's why we've got to be devoted to this thing. And that's why, man, at our Savior's Church, I'm so privileged to be a part of this church because Pastor Bob and Pastor Jamie and all of our pastors put such a high value on the word of God. And I'm going to just tell you, I'm I'm not an an extremely eloquent type of guy. I just like to read scriptures, let it go out there, and then hopefully it'll do something to you. It's not my words. I I want the Bible to, to do its work in your life. It's, it's, it, I want you to leave here, not impressed with me, but impressed with what the Bible says. If you leave here more in love with Jesus, then we did our job. And hopefully you're, you're more in love with Jesus' book as well. If you want to create an atmosphere where you're going to encounter the Holy Spirit, listen, you've got to know what the Bible says. You've got to study what the Bible says. You've got to memorize what the Bible says. You've got to believe what the Bible says. You've got to obey what the Bible says. You've got to share what the Bible says. Okay? That's what we've got to do. So we've got to be a people who are committed to that. Number three, so they're, they're more passionate about pleasing God than pleasing people. They're more devoted to God's word. And then number three, they are committed to biblical community. Watch this. Acts chapter four. Now let's look at verse 23. Acts chapter four, verse 23. It says this, as soon as they were freed. Okay. So the guy's like, we can't do anything with you. Stop talking about Jesus. You can go as soon as they're freed. Where do they go? Peter and John returned to who? To the other believers. And they told them what the leading priests and elders had said. So here's my question to you. What Christians friends do you go to when in your time of need? Who do you run to when you're in need? Who do you run to when crisis happens in your life? Peter and John get out of prison. The first place they run to is the people that are in their church. They run to other believers. And here's the truth. It was a good thing that they had friends before their tragedy struck. See, most people have a tragedy strike and then they run to the church and they try to microwave relationships. Oh, something bad's happened here. Let me run to the church and try to get some people to help me. Well, the problem is you don't have any friends. You don't have any friends. You don't have any people. And so now you're walking through your tragedy alone because you never build relationships because the only time you want to build relationships is when it's convenient for you. But when it's convenient for you, nobody, it's, it's not working out. And so what, what we have here is we have Peter and John and immediately they're released from prison and they run to the church. They run to all of their friends and I, I, man, I, here's my encouragement for you. I, I encourage you to have some Christian friends. And let me encourage you in this. I encourage you to have friends before the tragedy strikes. Because when the tra- tragedy strikes, you don't want to go try searching for friends. You don't want to go try searching for a community of people that are going to help you. Because they're not going to be there because you didn't build it. The, the thing is you want to build a system and a network of people that are around you that when tragedy comes, and let me say this as someone who's walking through that, even myself, even now, you don't know when it comes, but it is coming. If you're not walking through a tragedy now, or you're not walking through trouble now, just wait. The clouds are on the horizon and they will come. And because life's always, you're always in this. You're always either in the middle of trouble. You're either just coming out of trouble or you're headed to trouble, but trouble's on its way. And so the truth is, what type of people do you have around you that can encourage you, can uplift you? Can, I mean, these guys just got put in jail. These guys just got ridiculed and the, they run to the people who can lift them back up. Come on, how many of you know you've been in prison for a day? Or, you know, you just, like, I just need somebody just to help me out. And they run back to the house, and they get encouraged by these guys. But let me, let me also give the flip side of this. Because not only do you need to have friends, and not only do you need to have relationships in this church. Because for some of you, you come to church, you show up here at church, and then you leave right after we say amen. And you don't build any relationships whatsoever. And then you call the church and you get mad at us because you were in the hospital for a week and we never knew. But nobody knows you. So, of course, you're in the hospital by yourself. <laughs> nobody knows you. And I, listen, this is this is funny, but sad because people do this all the time. I was in the hospital for five days. Nobody called me and I asked, well, what life group are you a part of? Who knows you? Who knew you were going in the hospital? well nobody nobody knew who did you call I didn't call anybody well you want the Holy Spirit to like tell us they're in the hospital (laughs) sometimes it works that way but not often and people get upset you would be surprised the phone calls we get where people get upset because we didn't show up to something but the truth is you weren't connected with anybody so therefore you didn't get anybody on the flip side of that not only do you need Christian friends let me ask you this question Who are you a friend to? Who can lean on you when they're walking through some stuff? Who is it whenever they're walking through some stuff, they're like, I need to call such and such because I know they're going to pray over me. They're going to encourage me. They're going to speak the word over me. See, because for Peter and John, they knew that when they went back to this house, they would be encouraged. They would be uplifted. They would. That's why they ran there. Notice they didn't run home. And for some of you, when you're going through hard stuff, you don't want to go home either you don't want to go to your mom and dad you don't want to tell them what's going on you don't want to run to your brother or sister because they're far from the lord but you'll you'll run to the church because you know that there's people there that really care for you how many, how many can agree with that one who are you inviting into your life where you can tell them hey if you need me i can if you if 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 i can pray for you I, man i'm concerned for you i love you i'll be here for you i'm part of your life you can depend on me see cuz here's the thing you don't just need to be better friends You need to be a better friend. See, because some of you have a lot of friends in here. The problem is, though, is you're not a friend to them. You just have a lot of people that you can depend on, but you don't have anybody that can depend on you. And a part of friendship is that it's reciprocal. It's that, hey, you're here to help me. But listen, you're going through something. I'm here to help you. I want to help you out. And Peter and John, they had that in this New Testament church. They had that. They shared everything. So if you don't have a lot of friends, and, and this is the Bible, okay? So don't get mad at me that I'm saying this. If you don't have friends, it's because you're not friendly. Proverbs actually says, he who has friends is friendly. So if you're wondering why you don't have friends, just put a smile on and tell somebody hi. That's where it can start. I know, I'm getting real practical this morning, but that's where it can start. And maybe ask somebody some questions about them instead of always asking, talking about yourself. I'm just Those are some practical things. Ask people how they're doing. So they were committed to biblical community. I, man, I challenge you, and that's that's why we have life groups here. That's why in June we're going to kick off life groups again. We encourage you to get involved in them, get involved in them, get involved in them. I am so glad I had people surrounded around me when when we went through the stuff and are going through the stuff we are going through. It's it's incredible. Uh, I I can't can't encourage it anymore. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> Number four. <clears throat> the fourth cup of environment that we see that these guys created is that they were united in prayer. They were united in prayer. Let's look verse 24. When they had report, when they had heard the report, this is, so Peter and John go to the house, they walk into the house, and they're, they're telling everybody what's going on. Hey, they don't want us talking about Jesus, just giving you a heads up. <laughs> we got thrown in, in jail for it, and you might too. And watch what happens. When they heard the report, all the believers, what did they do? They lifted their voices together in what? In prayer to God. Now skip to verse 31. So after the prayer, the meeting place shook, and what happens? They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preach the word of God with what? Boldness. Boldness. Let me set up what's going on here. In Acts chapter 1, the church was in a prayer meeting. In Acts chapter 2, the church was proclaiming the gospel. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to a prayer meeting. And in Acts chapter 4, the church is yet again praying again. You can't go through the beginning of Acts and not see that every single time they gather, they're praying. They're praying. They're praying for one another. They're praying for the gospel to be advanced. every Every mighty move of the Holy Spirit is always preceded by prayer. Always. Always preceded by prayer. Peter and John, they get out of jail. They go straight to their friends. They open up their Bible and they pray. That's what they do. They pray. And again, this is why Christian friendship is so important. Let me tell you, hold on. Listen to me on this one. The reason why it's so important for you to go to Christian friends and believers when you're going through trials and not a non-Christian friend, because a non-Christian friend won't pray for you. They'll give you their counsel. They'll give you their ideas. They'll give you their thoughts of what they think you should do. But can I tell you, that's not God's thoughts. And that's probably not God's things of what he wants you to do. So we'll run to friends who tell us what we want to hear versus running to friends who will tell us what we need to hear. And a lot of times what we need to hear is a lot more important than what we want to hear. And a lot, what we need to hear is what God wants to usually tell us. That with me. And so these guys, they come and they pray because listen, you're non-Christian friends. They're not going to, they're not going to ask the Holy spirit to lead you. <laughs> they're not going to ask the Holy spirit to guide you and to, to give you peace. They're going to offer some false hope. They're not going to open scripture with you. When we read about this new Testament church, they open the Bible together. They, they seek friendships together. They pray together. And here's, let me tell you what I've seen. Uh, I, I've been a part of our savior's church as a pastor here for 14 years. I know I was 12 when I started. Um, (laughs) Close. Um, But I'm gonna tell you what I've seen. People who don't have these three things, they don't have, they're not devoted to community. I mean, devoted to God's word. They're not committed to community and they don't pray. The people that don't have these three things in their life, eventually they leave the church. Eventually they turn back their back on Jesus. and Eventually they wander from the faith and they don't come back until a crisis. Have you seen it? I see it all the time. The people who don't read the word, don't pray, and are not involved with people will leave. They'll leave, and a lot of times they leave not only our church, they leave the church, they leave the faith. And the only time they come running back to God is when they get a bad report medically, their marriage is falling apart. I can't tell you how many people we've counseled in the past three months that left our church And it's come back because we were the only ones faithful enough just to keep relationships with him. Because we still call these people all the time. I text a guy this week. Hey, man, I'm just thinking about you. He's been running. I know he has. I just text him and said, man, I just want you to know I love you. But guess what? When a crisis comes, you know who he's going to call? He's going to call me. He's not going to call his mom. He's not going to call his his friends that he thinks are his friends. He's not going to call any of those. He's going to call me. And then guess what? I'll be right there when he comes. And for some people, they have to get to that point to, to, in order for them to realize how good they actually had it. And can I tell you this? As an outsider, really, because I'm not here at the Unis campus all the time, you've got it really good. You have a pastor and a wife and elders and a leadership team that really love you, that really want to get connected with you, that really want to help you. How many of you in here are a byproduct of people in here that have just poured into you? Can I get an amen on that one? Loved you. Paid for some of your bills for you, just blessed you with meals, came to a hospital, a funeral home, just been there. Come on, we all need that, right? Challenged you in your faith to just love Jesus more. Challenged you in your marriage to be a husband who loves his wife well, serves his kids well. And the thing that knits God's people together, there's nothing better than prayer. There's nothing better that knits me and you together than for me to pray for you and you to pray for me. And let me, let me say this too. The quickest way to cure grumbling and gossip is pray. Because you can't gossip and grumble when you pray. Well, you can, I guess, technically. But hopefully while you're praying, you're realizing like, oh, I'm grumbling. I'm gossiping. And it's okay for us to come to God with complaints because God's big enough for that. It's okay for us to do that. But it's it's funny how people want to come and talk to you about other people, and you go, and how quickly that stops when you go, like, hey, let's just pray for them. They're like, ah, oh, I really don't want to do that. I just want to talk about them. <laughs> well, can, we, can we? So, hey, if you if somebody's gossiping or grumbling always to you, just go, hey, can we pray about this? And they're like, ah, oh, I guess so. <laughs> you know? just grab their hands, start praying, <laughs> start praying. But I'm telling you, every mighty move that we see in the Holy Spirit and through the church is preceded. By unified prayer. Now, let me me tell you this. When we talk about unified prayer, Pastor Bubba, man, he told me this this morning. I was like, God, that's so good. He said, you know what? A lot of times we come to prayer when we're shaken. But in this, they came to prayer because they wanted to be shaken. Most of the time, the only time we pray is when our life is shaken up. But the New Testament church prayed fervently that God would shake them up. And notice what happens. The place is what? Shaken. And the Holy Spirit fills every person in the room. And not only that, it fills them with what? Boldness. Here's the crazy thing. And I'm going to finish with this. We pray to God constantly when we're discomforted. God, I'm going through this, and God, my boss is this, and God, my my family is this, and God, and our life is uncomfortable, and we don't like it. And we're coming to God and begging him to fix it. But can I tell you this? The Holy Spirit is described as a comforter. And you don't need a comforter when you're comfortable. You only need a comforter when your life is not comfortable. So for many of you, let me just ask you this. Why do you need the Holy Spirit? If life is grand and everything is good and there's no discomfort, you don't need a comforter. You only need a comforter when things are getting shaken up. And in this New Testament church, these people are going to jail for what they did. And I love this. These guys... They get thrown in jail. They get threatened with their life. And they go, you're going to die if you keep saying Jesus. They go back to the place. They tell the guys, hey, guys, we're going to die if we keep talking about Jesus. And they pray and go, God, make us bolder. Notice they don't pray. God, help us. Help us. May they never do. May, may, they, may this stop. No, they go, God, make us louder. Make us bolder than we ever had before. We pray the discomfort away. These guys prayed for the discomfort to keep staying there because it just made them louder and bolder. Come on, how different is that? May we stop praying comfortable prayers and may we start asking God, don't get me out of this comfort zone. Change me. Change me. My marriage is a wreck. Change me. My my job is just horrible right now. Change Change me. Change me. Change me. And I believe when we do that, I believe we experience the Holy Spirit. I believe we do. So this is what I want to pray over you. I want to pray, and you might not want me to pray this over you, but I'm going to pray that you would be uncomfortable. I'm going to pray that if you are in a place of comfort, that that God would find a way to make you uncomfortable for you to be dependent more on him. And that this week that you would um, realize that God is calling you to be Devoted to Him and His Word, that you would be devoted and committed to community. That you need friends. That you need to be a good friend. Some of you need to go to some of your friends and go. I haven't been a good friend to you. You've been a great friend to me. I haven't been a good one to you, and I apologize. And I want to be a good friend to you. And then some of us we just need to man come to a place where we need to we need to pray more. Not only when things are bad. We need to pray when things are good. We need to pray all the time. It'll stop our grumbling. It'll stop our gossiping. I promise you that. And then I, I believe when you do two, three, and four, you get one, which is you don't care about what people say. You just want a desire to please God and obey God. I think it's actually vice versa. When you pray, you spend time with God and his word, and you spend time with people, you get bold, and you just want to please God more than man. I really do. I believe that happens. And that's what I want to pray over you this morning. How many want that this morning? Come on, can we pray over that today? Can we pray over that today? Jesus, we, we thank you today, God, for your word. We thank you, God, that you are... God, in a a desire, you have a, a desire to want us just to depend on you more. And God, as we read today, God about the New Testament church and what what really was behind the scenes of. All the power encounters that we see and all the miraculous things that we see, God, we we realize, God, that these were some people that were devoted to your word. These were people that were devoted to praying together. These were people that were devoted to being together, loving and serving and and, and ministering together. God, we see that these men were passionate about pleasing you more than pleasing man. God, give us that same desire. Give us that same desire. God, help us in that. Holy Spirit, would you come? God, it's not about us trying harder and doing more. God, we need your grace to do this. We need you and your Holy Spirit to come and empower us to do the things that we can't do in our own. God, we love you today. We love you today. In Jesus' name.